0: Welcome to this Uvila Audio presentation of The Skylark of Space by E. E. Doc Smith. Volume 4, Chapter 11 The afternoon following the homecoming of the Skylark, Seton and Dorothy returned from a long horseback ride in the park. After Seton had mounted his motorcycle, Dorothy turned toward a bench in the shade of an old elm to watch a game of tennis on the court next door. Scarcely had she seated herself when a great copper-plated ball landed directly in front of her. A heavy steel door snapped open and a powerful figure, clad in leather, leapt out. The man's face and eyes were covered by his helmet flaps and amber goggles. Dorothy leapt to her feet with a shriek. Seaton had just left her and this spaceship was far too small to be the Skylark. It had to be the counterpart of old Crip which she knew could never fly. As these thoughts raced through her, she screamed again and turned in flight. But the stranger caught her in three strides, and she found herself helpless in a pair of arms as strong as Seton's. Picking her up lightly, Duquesne carried her over the lawn to his spaceship. Dorothy screamed wildly as she found that her fiercest struggles made no impression on her captor. Her clawing nails glanced harmlessly off the glass and leather of his helmet, and her teeth were equally ineffective against his leather coat. With the girl in his arms, Duquesne stepped into the vessel. The door clanged shut behind them. Dorothy caught a glimpse of another woman, tied tightly into one of the side seats. Tie her feet, Perkins, Duquesne ordered, holding her around the body so that her feet extended straight out in front of him. She's a fighting wildcat. As Perkins threw one end of a small rope around her ankles, Dorothy doubled up her knees, drawing her feet as far from him as she could. He stepped up carelessly and reached out to grasp her ankles. She straightened out viciously, driving her riding boots into the pit of his stomach with all her strength. It was a true solar plexus blow, and, completely knocked out, Perkins staggered backwards against the instrument board. His outflung arm pushed the power lever out to its last notch, throwing full current through the bar which was pointed straight up as it had been when they had made their landing there was the creak of fabricated steel stressed almost to its limit as the vessel shot upward with a stupendous velocity and only the ultra protective and super resilient properties of the floor saved their lives as they were thrown flat upon it by the awful force of their acceleration the maddened spaceship tore through the thin layer of the earth's atmosphere in an instant It was through it and almost into the perfect vacuum of interplanetary space before the thick steel hull was even warmed through. Dorothy lay flat upon her back, just as she had fallen, unable even to move her arms, gaining each breath by a terrible effort. Perkins was a huddled heap under the instrument board. The other captive, who happened to be Brookings' ex-secretary, was in a somewhat better case as her bonds had snapped and she was lying in optimum position in one of the seats, forced into that position, and held there as the designer of those seats had intended. She, like Dorothy, was gasping for breath, her straining muscles barely able to force air into her lungs because of the paralyzing weight of her chest. Duquesne alone was able to move. It required all his Herculean strength to creep and crawl snake-like toward the instrument board, Finally, attaining his goal, he summoned all of that strength to grasp, not the controlling lever, which he knew was beyond his reach, but a cutout switch only a couple of feet above his head. With a series of convulsive movements, he fought his way up, first until he was crouching on elbows and knees, and then into a squatting position. Then, placing his left hand under his right, he made a last, supreme effort— perspiration streamed from his face his muscles stood out in ridges visible even under the heavy leather of his coat his lips parted in a snarl over his locked teeth as he threw every ounce of his powerful body into an effort to force his right hand up to that switch his hand approached it slowly closed over it and pulled it out the result was startling With the terrific power instantly cut off and with not even the extraordinary force of gravity to counteract the force Duquesne was exerting, his own muscular effort hurled him upward toward the center of the ship and against the instrument board. The switch, still in his grasp, was again closed. His shoulder crashed against the knobs, which controlled the direction of the power bar, swinging it through a wide arc. As the ship darted off in a new direction, With all its former acceleration, he was hurled back against the board, tearing one end loose from its supports and falling unconscious to the floor on the other side. After what seemed like an eternity, Dorothy and the other girl felt their senses slowly leave them. With its four unconscious passengers, the ship hurtled through empty space, its already inconceivable velocity being augmented every second by a quantity almost equal to the velocity of light driven furiously upward by the prodigious power of the disintegrating copper bar. Seaton had gone only a short distance from his sweetheart's home, when over the purring of his engine, he thought he heard Dorothy scream. He did not wait to make sure, but whirled his machine around, and its purring changed to a bellowing roar as he opened the throttle. Gravel flew under his skinning wheels as he made the turn into the Vainman grounds at suicidal speeds. He arrived at the scene just in time to see the door of the spaceship close. Before he could reach it, the vessel disappeared, with nothing to mark its departure except a violent whirl of grass and sod, uprooted and carried high into the air by the vacuum of its wake. To the excited tennis players and the screaming mother of the abducted girl, it seemed as though the great metal ball had vanished utterly. Only Seaton traced the line of debris in the sky and saw for a fraction of an instant an infinitesimal black dot in the sky before it disappeared. Interrupting the clamor of the young people, each of whom was trying to tell him what had happened, he spoke to Mrs. Vainman rapidly but gently. "'Mother, Dottie's all right. Steele's got her, but they won't keep her long. Don't worry, we'll get her back. It may be a week or it may take a year.' but we're going to get her back. He leapt back upon his motorcycle and shattered all speed laws on the way to Crane's house. Mart, he yelled. They've got Dottie in a ship made from our own plans. We've got to go. Slow down. Don't go off half-cocked. What are you planning? Planning? Just chase him down and kill him. Which way did they go? When did they go? Straight up, full power, twenty minutes ago that is too long. Straight up has moved five degrees. They may have covered a million miles, or they may have come down only a few miles away. Sit down, think, use your brain. Seaton sat down and pulled out his pipe, fighting for self-possession. Then he jumped up and ran into his room, coming back with an object compass whose needle pointed upward. Touquet did it, he cried exultantly. This is still looking right at him. Come on, let's go and snap it up. Not yet. How far away are they? Seaton touched the stud that set the needle swinging and snapped on the millisecond timer. Both men strained attention as second after second went by, and the needle continued to oscillate. It finally came to rest, and Crane punched keys on the computer to calculate the distance. 350 million miles. They're halfway out of the solar system. That means a constant acceleration of about one light speed. Nothing can go that fast. Remember, E equals MC squared. It's Einstein's theory, but it's still a theory. This distance is an observed fact. And theory is unmodified to fit facts. All right. He's out of control. Something had to have gone haywire. Undoubtedly. We don't know how big a bar he's got, so we can't figure out how long it'll take us to catch him. For God's sake, Pete, let's get at it. They hurried out to the Skylark and made a quick check. Seaton was closing the lock when Crane stopped him with a gesture toward the power plant. We only have four bars, Dick. Two for each engine. It will take at least one to overtake them, and at least one to stop. If we expect to get back within our lifetime... It'll take the other two to get us back. Even with no allowance at all for the unexpected. We are short on power. Seaton, though furiously eager to be off, was stopped cold. Check. We we better get a couple more, maybe four. And we better load up on grub, and explosive ammunition, too. And water especially water, Crane added. Seaton called the brass foundry. The manager took his order but blandly informed him that there was not that much copper in the city, that it would be ten days or two weeks before such an order could be filled. Seaton suggested that they melt up some finished goods, bus bars and the like, and the price was no object. But the manager was obdurate; He could not violate the priority rule. Seaton then called other places, every place he could think of or find in the Yellow Pages, trying to buy anything made of copper. Bars, sheets shapes, trolley wire, house wire, anything. But there was nothing available in any quantity large enough to be of use. After an hour of fruitless telephoning, he reported, in fulminating language, to Crane, I am not too bloody well surprised. Steele might not want us to have that much copper. Sparks almost shot from Seton's eyes. I'm going to go see Brookings. He'll give me copper or a few atoms of his carcass will land in Andromeda. He started for the door. No, Dick, no. Crane seized Seaton by the arm. That wouldn't, couldn't get us anything, except infinite delay. What? How? We could be at Wilson's in five minutes. He has some copper on hand, and can get more. The Skylock is ready to travel. In a few minutes they were in the office of the plant in which their vessel had been built. When they made their wants known, the Iron Master shook his head. "'Sorry, but I don't think I've got over a hundred pounds of copper in the place, and no non-ferrous equipment.' Seaton started to explode, but Crane silenced him and told Wilson the whole story. Wilson slammed his fist down on his desk and roared, "'I'll get copper, if I have to tear the roof off of a church.' Then more quietly, "'We'll have to cobble up a furnace and crucible,' and hand-make patterns and molds, and borrow a big lathe. You'll get your bars just as fast as I can possibly get them out. Two days passed before the gleaming copper cylinders were ready. During this time, Crane added to their equipment every article for which he could conceive any possible use, while Seaton raged up and down in a black fury of impatience. While the bars were being loaded, they made another reading on the object compass. Their faces grew tense, and hearts turned sick as minute followed minute, and the needle still would not settle down. Finally, however, it came to rest, and Seaton's voice almost failed him as he said, Two hundred and thirty-five light-years. I can't nail the exact end point, but it's pretty damn close. They're lost like nobody's ever been lost before. Oh, my lord. He held out his hand. It's been nice knowing you. Tell Vainman that if I come back, I'll bring her with me. Crane refused the hand. What are you talking about? Do you think I'm not going along with you, dick? As of just now, there's no sense in it. If Dottie's gone, I'm going too. But M. Reynolds Crane? No. Not at all. Nonsense. This is somewhat farther than we had planned from the first trip, but there's no real difference. It's just as safe to go a thousand light-years as one. We have ample supplies. In any event, I am going. Thanks, Ace. This time, hands met in a crushing grip. Here were three of me. I'll call Vainman, Crane said hastily. He did not tell the lawyer the truth or any close approximation of it. Merely that the chase would probably be longer than they had supposed, and that communication could very well be impossible, that they would in all probability be gone a long time, and that he could not even guess at how long that time would be. They closed the locks and took off. Seaton crowded on power until Crane, reading the parameters, warned him to cut back. The skin was getting too hot. Free of the atmosphere, Seaton again advanced the lever, notch by notch, until he could no longer support the weight of his hand, but had to resort to the arm support designed for that emergency. He pushed the lever a few notches farther and was forced violently down into his seat, which had automatically moved upward so that his hand still controlled the ratchet handle. Still, he kept the ratchet clicking until he knew he could not endure much more. How? Are you coming? He wheezed into his microphone. He could not really talk. Passing out. Crane's reply was barely audible. Can't stay conscious if you continue at this rate. Seaton cut back a few notches. How about this? I can take this much, I think. I was right on the edge. I'll let her ride here. How long? Four or five hours. Then we'd better eat and take another reading. All right. Talking's too much work, so if it gets too much for you, yell while you still can. I'm sure we're on our way at last. Chapter 12 For 48 hours, the uncontrolled engine dragged Duquesne's vessel through the empty reaches of space with an awful, constantly increasing velocity. Then, when only a few traces of copper remained, the acceleration began to decrease. Floor and seats began to return to their normal positions. When the last particle of copper was gone, the ship's speed became constant, apparently motionless to those inside her. She was in reality moving with a velocity a thousand times greater than that of light. Duquesne was the first to gain control of himself. His first effort was to get up from the floor, and he floated lightly upward to the ceiling, striking it with a gentle bump and remaining motionless, unsupported in the air. The others, none of whom had attempted to move, stared at him in amazement. Duquesne reached out and clutched a hand grip and drew himself down to the floor, With great caution, he removed his suit, transferring two automatic pistols as he did so. By feeling gingerly of his body, he found that no bones were broken. Only then did he look around to see how his companions were faring. They were all sitting up and holding on to something. The girls were resting
1: quietly. Perkins was removing his leather costume. Good morning, Dr. Duquesne. Something must have happened when I kicked your friend.
0: Good morning, Miss Vainman. Duquesne smiled, more than half in relief. Several things happened. He fell into the controls, turning on all the juice, and we left considerably faster than I intended to. I tried to get control, but couldn't. Then we all went to sleep and just woke up.
1: Do you have any idea where
0: we are? No, but I can make a fair estimate. He glanced at the empty chamber where the copper cylinder had been, took out a notebook and pencil and slide rule, and figured for a few minutes. He then drew himself to one of the windows and stared out, then went to another window and another. He seated himself at the crazily tilted control board and studied it. He worked at the computer for a few moments. I don't know what to make of this, he quietly told Dorothy. Since the power was on exactly 48 hours, we should not be more than two light days away from our sun. However, we certainly are. I could recognize at least some of the fixed stars and constellations from anywhere within a light year or so of Sol, and I cannot find even one familiar thing. Therefore, we must have been accelerating all the time. We must be in the neighborhood of 200 thirty-seven light-years away from home. For you who don't know what a light-year is, it is about six quadrillion, which is six thousand million million miles. Dorothy's face turned white. Margaret Spencer fainted. Perkins merely goggled, his face working convulsively.
1: Then we'll never get back?
0: Dorothy asked.
1: I would not say that.
0: You got us into this, Perkins screamed, and leapt at Dorothy, murderous fury in his glare. His fingers curved into talons. Instead of reaching her, however, he merely sprawled grotesquely in the air. Duquesne, bracing one foot against the wall and squeezing a hand grip with his left hand, knocked Perkins clear across the room with one blow of his right. None of that, Duquesne said evenly. One more wrong move out of you and I will throw you out. It is not her fault we are here. It is our own, and mostly yours. If you had three brain cells working, she could not have kicked you. But that is in the past. The only thing of interest now is getting back. But we can't get back, Perkins whimpered. The power's gone, the controls are wrecked, and you just said we're lost. I did not. Kane's voice was icy. What I said was that I don't know where we are. That is a different statement entirely. Isn't that a distinction without a difference? Dorothy asked acidly. By no means, Miss Vanman. I can repair the control board, and we have two extra power bars. One of them with direction exactly reversed. Will stop us, relative to the Earth. I'll burn half of the last one, then cost until by recognizing fixed stars and triangulating on them, I can fix our position. I will then know where our solar system is, and we'll go there. In the meantime, I suggest we have something to eat.
1: Well, all right, that's a timely thought, Dorothy exclaimed. I'm famished. Where's your refrigerator? But something else comes first. I'm a mess, and she must be, too. Where's our room? That is, we have a room, right? Yes, that one. And there's the galley over there.
0: We're cramped, but you'll be able to make out. Let me say, Miss Vainman, that I really admire your nerve. I did not expect that Lunk to disintegrate the way he did. But I thought you girls might. Miss Spencer will yet, unless you...
1: I'll try. I'm scared. But falling apart isn't going to help us. And we've simply got to get back.
0: We will. Two of us at least, Dorothy nudged the other girl who had not paid any attention to anything around her and led her along a handrail as she went. She could not help but think with more than a touch of admiration of the man who had abducted her. He was cool and calm, a master of himself in the situation, disregarding completely the terrible bruises that disfigured half his face and doubtless half his body as well. She admitted to herself that it was only his example which had enabled her to maintain her own self-control. As she crawled over Perkins' suit, she remembered that he had not taken any weapons from it, and a glance assured her that Perkins was not watching her. She searched it quickly, finding two automatics. She noted with relief that they were standard forty fives and stuck them in her pockets. In the room, Dorothy took one look at the other girl, then went to the galley and back. "'Here.' "'Swallow this,' she ordered. The girl did so. She shuddered uncontrollably, but did begin to come to life.
1: "'That's better. Now snap out of it,' Dorothy said sharply. "'We're not dead, and we're not going to be.' "'I am,' came the wooden reply. "'You don't know that beast, Perkins.' "'I do so, and better yet, I know things that neither Duquesne nor Perkins can even guess at. Two of the smartest men that ever lived are on our tail, "'and when they catch up with us, well, "'I wouldn't want to be in the shoes of those two for anything.' "'What?'
0: Dorothy's confident words and bearing, "'much like a potent pill, were taking effect. "'The strange girl was coming back rapidly to sanity and normality.
1: "'Not really. "'Yes, really. "'We've got a lot to do, and we've got to clean up first, "'and with no weight. "'Does that make you sick?' It did dreadfully, but I've got nothing left to be sick with. Doesn't it make you sick? Not very much. I don't like it, but I'm getting used to it. I don't suppose you know anything about it. No, all I can feel is that I'm fallen, and it's almost unbearable. It isn't pleasant. I've studied it a lot in theory, and the boys say all you've got to do is forget that falling sensation. Not that I've been able to do it, but I'm still trying. The first thing's a bath, and then, A bath? How are we going to take a bath here? How? A sponge bath, I'll show you, and then, They brought along quite a lot of clothes to fit me, and you're just about my size. I think you'll look nice and green. After they had put themselves
0: to rights, Dorothy said, That's a lot better. Each girl looked at the other, and each liked what she saw. The stranger was about twenty-two, with heavy, wavy black hair. Her eyes were a rich, deep brown, her skin clear, smooth, and ivory. Normally a beautiful girl, thought Dorothy, even though she was now thin and haggard and worn.
1: "'Let's get acquainted before we do anything else,' she said. "'I'm Margaret Spencer, formerly private secretary to his high mightiness, Brookings of Steel.' They swindled my father out of an invention worth millions and then killed him. I got the job to see if I could prove it, but I didn't get much evidence before they caught me. So after two months of things you wouldn't believe, here I am. Talking never would have done me any good, and I'm certain it won't now. Perkins is going to kill me. Well, maybe if what you say is true, I should add if he can. This is the first time I've had that much hope. What about Duquesne? Surely he wouldn't let him kill you. I've never met Duquesne before, but from what I heard about in the office, he's worse than Perkins. He's absolutely cold and utterly hard. He's a real fiend. Oh, I'm sure you're being too hard on him. Didn't you just see him knock Perkins down when he came after me? No. Well, maybe I did in a dim kind of way, but that doesn't mean anything. He probably wants you left alive. That's got to be it, since he went to all the trouble of kidnapping you. Otherwise, he would have let Perkins do anything he wanted with you, without lifting a finger. I can't believe that.
0: Nonetheless, a chill struck at Dorothy's heart as she remembered the inhuman
1: crimes attributed to the man. He's treated us with every consideration so far. Let's just hope for the best. Anyway, I'm sure we'll get back safely. You keep saying that. What makes you so sure? Well, I'm Dorothy Vainman, and I'm engaged to Dick Seaton, the man who invented this spaceship, and I'm sure as can be that he is chasing us right now. But that's just what they want, Margaret exclaimed. I heard some top-secret stuff about you. Your name and Seaton's brings it back to me. Their ship is rigged some way or other so it'll blow up or something the first time they go anywhere. Yeah, that's what they think. Dorothy's voice drips scorn. Dick and his partner? You've heard of Martin Crane, of course. I heard the name mentioned with Seton's, but that's all. Well, he's quite a wonderful inventor, and almost as smart as Dick is. Together, they found out about that sabotage and built another ship that Steele doesn't know anything about. It's bigger and better and faster than this one. Well, that makes me feel better.
0: Margaret really brightened for the first
1: time. No matter how rough this trip will be, it'll be a vacation for me now. now. if only I had a gun.
0: Here, said Dorothy, as Margaret stared at the proffered weapon.
1: I've got another. I got him out of Perkins' suit. Glory be!
0: Margaret fairly beamed.
1: There is balm in Gilead, after all. Just watch next time Perkins threatens to cut my heart out with his knife. And we better go make those sandwiches don't you think? And call me Peggy, please. Will do, Peggy. We're going to be great friends, and I'm Dot or Dotty to you.
0: In the galley, the girls set about making dainty sandwiches, but going was very hard indeed. Margaret was particularly inept. Slices of bread went one way, bits of butter another, ham and sausage and several others. She seized two trays and tried to trap the escaping food beneath them. "'but in the attempt she released her hold "'and floated helplessly into
1: the air. "'Oh, Dot, what'll do we do?' she wailed. "'Everything wants to fly all over the place. "'I i don't quite know. "'I wish we had a cage "'so we could reach in and grab anything before it could escape. "'We'd better tie everything down, I guess, "'and let everybody come in "'and cut off a hunk of anything they want. "'But what I'm wondering about is drinking. "'I'm simply dying of thirst.' and I'm afraid to open this bottle. She had a bottle of
0: ginger ale clutched in her left hand, an opener in her right. One leg was hooked
1: around a vertical rail. I'm afraid it'll go into a million drops, and Dick says if you breathe them in, you're likely to choke to death. Seaton was
0: right, as usual. Dorothy whirled around. Duquesne was surveying the room, a glint of amusement in his one sound eye. I would not recommend playing with charged drinks while weightless. Just a minute. I'll get the net. And he got it. And while he was deftly clearing the air of floating items of food, he went on. Charged stuff could be murderous unless you're wearing a mask. Plain liquids you can drink through a straw, after you learn how. Your swallowing has got to be conscious, all muscular with no gravity. "'But what I came here for was to tell you "'I'm ready to put on one G of acceleration, "'so we'll have normal gravity. "'I'll put it on easy, but watch it.'
1: "'What a heavenly relief!' Margaret cried "'when everything again stayed put. "'I never thought I'd ever be grateful "'for just being able to stand in one place, did you?'
0: "'Preparing the meal was now, of course, simple enough.' As the four ate, Dorothy noticed that Duquesne's left arm was almost useless and that he ate with difficulty because of his terribly bruised face. After the meal was done, she went to the medicine chest and selected containers, swabs, and gauze.
1: Come over here, doctor. First aid is indicated.
0: I am all right. I do not need first aid. And he began, but at her imperious gesture, he got up carefully and came toward her.
1: Your arm is lame. Where's the damage?
0: The shoulder's the worst.
1: I rubbed it through the board.
0: Take off your shirt, lie down. He did so, and Dorothy gasped at the extent and severity of the man's injuries.
1: Will you get me some towels and hot water, please, Peggy?
0: She worked busily for minutes, bathing away clotted blood,
1: applying antiseptics, and bandaging. And now for those bruises. I've never seen anything like them before. I'm not really a nurse. What would you use? Tripidiagen or Amelophine. Massage it in as I move my
0: arm. He did not wince, and his expression did not change. But he began to sweat, and his face turned white, and she paused. Keep it up, nurse, he directed coolly. That stuff's murder in the first degree, but it does the job, and it is fast. When she had finished, he was putting his shirt back on. He said, Thank you very much, Miss Vanman. It feels a hundred percent better already. But why did you do it? I would think you would want to bash me with that basin instead. Efficiency, she smiled,
1: as our chief engineer it wouldn't do to have you laid up.
0: Logical enough in a way, but I wonder.
1: She did not reply, but turned to Perkins. How are you, Mr. Perkins? Do you require medical attention? No.
0: Keep away from me, or I'll cut your heart out. Shut up, Duquesne snapped. I haven't done anything. Maybe it didn't quite constitute making a break, so I'll broaden the definition. If you can't talk like a man, keep still. Lay off Miss Venman Thoughts, words, and actions. I'm in charge of her, and I will have no interference whatsoever. Mm. This is your last warning. How about Spencer, then? She's your responsibility, not mine. An evil light appeared in Perkins' eyes. He took out a wicked-looking knife and began to strop it carefully on the leather of the seat, glaring at his victim the while. Dorothy started to protest but was silenced by a gesture from Margaret, who calmly took the pistol out of her pocket. She jerked the slide and held the weapon up on one finger.
1: "'Don't worry about his knife. He's been sharpening it for my benefit for the last month. Doesn't mean a thing. But you shouldn't play with it so much, Perkins. You might be tempted to try to throw it. So drop it on the floor and kick it over here to me. Before I count to three, one—'
0: The heavy pistol, steadied into line with his chest— and her finger tightened on the trigger. Two? Perkins obeyed, and Margaret picked up the knife. Doctor! Perkins appealed to Kane, who had watched the scene unmoved, a faint smile upon his saturnine face. Why don't you shoot her? You won't sit there and see me murdered. Won't I not? It makes no difference to me which of you kills the other, or if you both do, or neither. You brought this on yourself. Anyone with a fraction of a brain doesn't leave guns lying around loose. You should have seen Miss Vainman take them. I did. You saw her take them and didn't warn me? Perkins croaked. Certainly. If you cannot take care of yourself, I am not going to take care of you. Especially after the way you bungled the job. I could have recovered the stuff she stole from that ass Brookings inside an hour. "'How?' Perkins sneered. "'If you're so good, why did you have to come to me about Seton and crying? "'Because my methods wouldn't work and yours would. "'It isn't on planning your week, as I told Brookings. "'It's on execution.' "'Well, what are you going to do about her? "'You going to sit there and lecture all day?' "'I'm going to do nothing whatsoever. Fight your own battles.' Dorothy broke the silence that followed.
1: You did see me take the guns, Doctor? I did. You have one in your right breeches pocket now. Then why didn't you or don't you try to take it away from me?
0: She asked wonderingly. Try is the wrong word. If I had not wanted you to take them, you wouldn't have. If I didn't want you to have a gun now, I would take it away from you. And his black eyes stared into her violet ones with such calm certainty that she felt her heart sink.
1: Has Perkins got any more knives or guns or things in his room?
0: I do not know. He said this indifferently. Then as both girls started for Perkins' room, Duquesne rapped out. Sit down, Miss Vennman. Let them fight it out. Perkins has orders about you. I'm giving you orders about him. If he oversteps, shoot him. Otherwise, hands off completely. In every respect. Dorothy threw up her head in defiance, but meeting his cold stare, she paused irresolutely and sat down while the other girl went on. That is better. Besides, it would be my guess that she doesn't need any help. Margaret returned from the search and thrust her pistol back
1: into her pocket. That ends it. Are you going to behave yourself, or do I chain you by the neck to a post?
0: "'I suppose I'll have to, if the doc's going back on me,' Perkins snarled. "'But I'll get you when we get back, you!'
1: "'Stop it!'
0: Margaret snapped.
1: "'Now listen. Call me names any more and I will start shooting. One name, one shot. Two names, two shots, and so on. Each shot in a carefully selected place. You just go ahead.'
0: Duquesne broke the silence that followed. "'Well, now that the battle is over,' and we are fed and rested. I'll put on some power, everyone, into their seats. For 60 hours he flew through space, reducing the acceleration only at mealtimes when they ate or when they needed to exercise their stiffened, tormented bodies. The power was not cut down for sleep. Everyone slept as best he could. Dorothy and Margaret were together constantly, and a real intimacy grew up between them. Perkins was, for the most part, sullenly quiet. Duquesne worked steadily during all his waking hours, except at meal times, when he talked easily and well. There was no animosity in his bearing, or in his words, but his discipline was strict, and his reproofs merciless. When the power bar was exhausted, Duquesne lifted the sole remaining cylinder into the engine, remarking, "Well, we should be approximately stationary relative to the Earth. Now we'll start back." He advanced the lever, and for many hours the regular routine of the ship went on. Then Duquesne, on waking, saw that the engine was no longer perpendicular to the floor, but was inclined slightly. He read the angle of inclination on the great circles, then scanned a sector of space. He reduced the current, whereupon all four felt a lurch as the angle was increased many degrees. He read the new angle hastily and restored touring power. He then sat down at the computer and calculated. With that much power on, a tremendous and unnerving job.
1: What's the matter, Doctor?
0: Dorothy asked. We are being deflected a little from our course. Is that a problem? Ordinarily, no. Every time we pass a star, its gravity pulls us a little out of line. But the effects are slight and do not last long and tend to cancel each other out. This is too big and has lasted altogether too long. If it keeps on, we could miss the solar system altogether, and I cannot find anything to account for it. He watched the bar anxiously, expecting to see it swing back into the vertical, but the new angle grew steadily larger. He again reduced the current and searched the heavens for the troublesome body.
1: Do you see it yet?
0: Dorothy asked apprehensively. No, but this optical system could be improved. I could do better with night glasses, I think. He brought out a pair of grotesque-looking binoculars and stared through them out at the upper window for perhaps five minutes. Mon Dieu! he exclaimed. It's a dead star, and we are almost onto it. Springing to the board, he whirled the bar into and through the vertical, then measured the apparent diameter of the strange object. Then, after cautioning the others, he put on more power than he had been using. After exactly fifteen minutes, he slackened off and made another reading, Seeing his expression, Dorothy was about to speak, but he forestalled her. We lost more ground. It must be a lot bigger than anything known to our astronomers, and I'm not trying to pull away from it, just to make an orbit around it. We'll have to put on full power. Take your seats. He left full power on until the bar was nearly gone and made another series of observations. Not enough, he said quietly. Perkins screamed and flung himself upon the floor. Margaret clutched at her heart with both hands. Dorothy, though her eyes looked like black holes in her white face, looked at him steadily and asked,
1: This is the end, then, is it?
0: Not yet. His voice was calm and level. It will take two days or more to fall that far. We have a little couple left for one last shot. I'm going to figure the angle to make that last shot as effective as possible. Won't the repulsive outer coating do any good? No, it will be gone long before we hit. I would strip it and feed it to the engine if I could think of a way of getting it off." He lit a cigarette and sat at ease at the computer. He sat there smoking and computing for over an hour. He then changed very slightly the angle of the engine. Now we look for copper. There is not any in the ship itself. Everything electrical is silver, down to our flashlights and the bases of the lamps. But examine the furnishings and all your personal stuff, anything with copper or brass in it, that includes metallic money, pennies, nickels, and silver. They found a few items, but very few. Duquesne added his watch, his heavy signet ring, his keys, his tie clasp, and the cartridges from his pistol. He made sure that Perkins didn't hold out anything. The girls gave up not only their money and cartridges, but their jewelry, including Dorothy's engagement ring. I'd like to keep it, but... She said as she added it to the collection. Everything goes that has copper in it, and I'm glad Seton's too much of a scientist to buy platinum jewelry. But if we get away, I doubt very much if you'd be able to see any difference in your ring. Very little copper in it but we need every milligram we can get. He threw all the metal into the power chamber and advanced the lever. And it was soon spent. And after the final observation, while the others waited in suspense, he made his curt announcement. It was not quite enough. Perkins, his mind already weakened, went completely insane. With a wild howl, he threw himself at the unmoved scientist Who struck him on the head with the butt of his pistol as he leapt. The force of the blow crushed Perkins' head and drove his body to the other end of the ship. Margaret looked as though she were about to faint. Dorothy and Duquesne looked at each other. To the girl's amazement, the man was as calm as though he were in his own room and home on Earth. She made an effort to hold her voice steady. What next, Doctor? I do not know exactly. I still have not been able to work out a method of recovering that plating. It's so thin that there isn't much copper, even on a sphere as big as this one. Even if you could get it and were enough, we'd starve anyway, wouldn't we? Margaret, holding herself together, desperately tried to speak lightly. Not necessarily. That would give me time to figure out something else to do. You wouldn't have
1: to figure anything else. Maybe you won't anyway. You said we have two days?
0: My observations were crude, but it is a little over two days. About forty-nine and a half hours now. Why do you
1: ask? Because Dick and Martin Crane will find us before very long. Quite possibly within two days. Not in this life.
0: If they try to follow us, they're both dead now. And that's where you're
1: wrong, she flashed. They knew all the time exactly what you were doing to our old Skylock, so they built another one that you never knew anything about. And they know a lot about this new metal that you never heard of, because it wasn't in those plans you stole.
0: Duquesne went directly to the heart of the matter, paying no attention to her barbs. Can they follow us into space without seeing us? He demanded.
1: Yes, at least I think they can. How could they possibly do that? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. And anyway, I wouldn't tell you if I did.
0: You think not? I won't argue the point at the moment. If they can find us, which I doubt, I hope they detect this dead star in time to keep away from it
1: and us. But why? You've been trying to kill both of them. Wouldn't you be glad to take them with us? Please try to be logical.
0: Far from it. There's no connection. I tried to kill them, yes, because they stood in the way of my development of this new metal. If, however, I am not going to be the one to do it, I certainly hope Seton goes ahead with it. It is the greatest discovery ever made, bar none. And if both Seton and I, the only two men able to develop it properly, get killed, it will be lost, perhaps for hundreds of years.
1: If he must go too, I hope he doesn't find us but I don't believe it. I simply know he could get us away from here. She
0: continued more slowly, almost speaking to herself, heart sinking with her
1: voice. He's following us, and he won't stop even if he knows he can't get away. There's no denying the
0: fact that our situation is critical, but as long as I'm alive and I can think, I'm going to dope out some way of getting that copper. I hope you do. Dorothy kept her voice from breaking only with tremendous effort. I see that Peggy's fainted. I wish I could. I'm so worn out. She threw herself down upon one of the seats and stared at the ceiling, fighting an almost overwhelming impulse to scream. And so time wore on. Perkins dead. Margaret unconscious. Dorothy lying in her seat. Her thoughts of formless prayer, buoyed only by her faith in God and in her lover. Duquesne self-possessed, smoking innumerable cigarettes, his keen mind at grips with its almost desperate problem, grimly fighting until the very last instant of life, while the powerless spaceship fell with an appalling velocity, faster and faster toward that cold and desolate, Monster of the Heavens.